As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome back to another edition of Atlantic and Coastal, the Athletics ACC podcast. I'm Andy Bitter, your Virginia Tech football writer. Had a busy week here. Also, your AC Atlantic and Coastal uh, podcast host. Well, we have one of our all, our ACC title game participants. Uh, Pitt sealed the deal in the Coastal Division last week, beating UVA. This will be the Panthers' first ACC championship game appearance since 2018. There will be no coastal chaos this year, as much as we all try to speak it into existence every single week. But you look at the Atlantic division, we go into the last week here. Everything is uh, Atlantic anarchy, we like to say, on that side. Three teams are still alive on that side of the conference after Clemson crushed Wake Forest over the weekend. Here's the scenario. Wake Forest, if it beats Boston College on the road this week, it wins the division. NC State, it takes the division. If it beats UNC and Wake Forest loses, then the, the Wolfpack are the champions. Clemson can still win the division again. This is like Michael Myers. They're not dead. They are still alive if both Wake Forest and NC State lose. It's a very interesting scenario going into this last weekend. Uh, and to talk about it, we go to somebody smack dab in the middle of it. Grace Rayner, our Clemson writer for The Athletic. Uh, nice enough to wake up early on this Tuesday morning to do this podcast with us. Grace, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, friend. I'm excited to be here. And yeah, I mean, right when we think that the Coastal is going to let us down, the Atlantic picks it right back up. Well, this is the Clemson team we've all been waiting for. They finally showed up, uh, beat Wake Forest 48 to 27. Uh, Kobe Pace, Will Shipley ran for 303 yards, four touchdowns in that game. Shipley also threw a touchdown uh, on a jump pass uh, that Tim Tebow would have been proud of. Clemson defense was sharp. <laughs> They held Wake to 36 yards rushing, three turnovers, seven sacks. I mean, this is a Wake deep offense. It was averaging 44.7 points coming in. They had 13 points through three quarters. Uh, just sort of a a vintage Clemson performance defensively. They completely shut down this high-powered offense. They found something offensively. What What was your biggest takeaway from this? What was most impressive about Clemson? Yeah, I think that going into it, we've – you know, we've we've had no reason all season to doubt Brent Venables and that side of the ball. And and if you look at Brent Venables versus Wake Forest, he's had their number for pretty much as long as he's been here. And so I I, I figured that Clemson's defense would do its part, 
even against a really, really good offense that, as you said, came in averaging almost 45 points a game. But I felt like Clemson's offense had to score. Like, I I did not feel like it was going to be one of those games where the defense could just solely pull them through this time. And so, you know, look, Clemson coaches and players have been saying literally all season, we're right there, we're not far, we're not making these mistakes in practice. And it was really difficult to believe that because what we saw on Saturdays did not suggest that this offense was close. And then Saturday, they finally did it, and they, they put it together, and I thought DJ played his best game. I thought Shipley and Pace were were tremendous, Pace especially, going for almost 200 yards. The offensive line, especially along the interior, was better. And it was just one of those days that for the first time, all 11 players got on the same page, and that's been kind of rare for, for Clemson's offense this year. That's always what you hear from coaches is we're close. No, you have to trust us. We're close. I mean, Virginia Tech was saying that the other way. I'm like, close to what? <laughs> close to bowl eligibility? You're not close to anything right now. Um, 543 yards of offense, 333 on the ground. This offense is fixed, right? That's a fixed. Just, it's all fixed. Everything is all right, right? It's not broken anymore. It's, what, uh, <laughs> how do you look at this thing, though? I mean, they say we're close, we're close. They have this game yeah. like this. Wake Forest not exactly – the, a top-notch defense. I mean, even in its uh, you know loss against uh, North Carolina, uh, high-scoring game. Even mm-hmm. in its win against NC State the previous week, high-scoring game. This is just how Wake plays, really high-scoring game. So do we look at this and go, hey, everything's on the up-and-up with Clemson, or are there still concerns about this offense? I think there's there are still concerns, and I think when you have the nation's number ninety six offense going into the last game of the regular season, there has to be concerns. Um, but I do think that this, like Clemson's offense, really all season had not had their just this this moment of breakthrough where I, I talked about this earlier this week with um, our good pal West Durham at the ACC Network. Like, Clemson's been cracking the door on all of these wins that they've won by six and seven points. They, they had not slammed the door on, on a legitimate opponent this season until Saturday. So I think that Clemson going into the South Carolina game, the offense is certainly going to enter with much more confidence, and I think that they will click, and I think we'll see a better output than we've seen throughout the course of the season, but I, I don't think it's necessarily fixed, but... I don't know. Can Clemson beat South Carolina and, and win a bowl game with the with the offense they played with on Saturday? Absolutely. DJ Uyunglele. He was 11 of 19 for 208 yards, touchdown and an interception. Uh, I looked at the ESPN.com QBR metric. I, mm-hmm. I don't know how much I trust this, but 42.6, which is still below average. Average is 50. Uh, that's the scale they use. Then I look at the receivers that he had in that game, and they're missing Justin Ross, Joseph Nada, uh, Frank Lansden, uh, EJ Williams. They're all out in this game. Uh, how do you rate his performance? I mean, it not uh, it's not like he overwhelmed Wake Forest with his passing, but he also didn't have any receivers there or any of their top receivers, it seemed like, in this game. Yeah, I thought this was DJ's best game for a couple of reasons. The first being that he made a play on third and eight where he avoided two sacks. He spun out of one and slipped out of the other one and threw off balance on the move 52 yards downfield to Bo Collins. And I thought it was the best play definitely of his season, possibly of his career. And I 
I thought from then on that gave him some confidence the rest of the afternoon. And he and Bo have this connection from high school and they they linked up again on another third and eight and it was for a 58-yard touchdown. And I think like those are some of the throws that we just haven't when D, it seems like when DJ's not thinking as much and he just has to make a play, he's he's a lot more effective because uh, we've just seen him overthrow receivers so often this year. And so the fact that he had those big plays to a receiver that he was comfortable with, I think made him really confident. I thought it was his best game. Was there still a lot out there? Absolutely. The, um, I don't know. They're just, the receiver situation is, is a complicated one. Dabo was joking about it, but like Clemson started Will Sweeney in the slot on Saturday because they had so few bodies. And so, um, I, I, I think that's part of it too, but I, I'm definitely rambling at this point. But like DJ's also, I guess my point is that like he's also overthrown like his healthy receivers. He has struggled when he has had Ross and Gata and Latson, but a good day for him to kind of finally figure it out. Yeah, I think that early pass, he was just sort of playing ball at that mm-hmm. point. He wasn't like in a system and like I have to make this read and go over here. It's like right. he got pressured, got away from it, and he just chucked it down the field. And it was the, you know, as you said, the best play that he's had. <laughs> Uh, perhaps this season uh, <clears throat> kind of gives some hope to Clemson that uh, you know maybe he turns this around next year I don't necessarily know what direction they'll go with the quarterback they always are recruiting a ton of talent so there's always mm-hmm. somebody coming in uh, that could challenge for this spot but it you know maybe gives some hope that this guy could be the the player that everybody hopes that he could be I'm curious about this what do we make of this Clemson season this is a team that is eight and three right now, I believe, uh, mm-hmm. say they win at South Carolina and they're favored in that game by 11 and they get to nine and three, but they don't win the Atlantic division. It ends a six year run as the ACC champions. If they don't do that, they still have a chance to win 10 w- games this year. Um, uh, you know, I, I've been sort of harping on Clemson all year and, and profiting off them earlier this year when they kept being like 16 or 17 point favorites. I'm like, I don't <laughs> think this offense is going to be do that. But they there's it's still been competitive. This defense is still really good. This is not quite uh, the just you know dumpster fire disaster that this has been out to made made out to be. I mean, it's not a, a national championship quality team this year, but if you get to 10 wins, that's still a pretty good season, right? Yeah, I mean, the Clemson is, if they get to 10 wins, it'll be their 11th consecutive season with 10 wins. And I, I think that when you look at, when you zoom out and you look at the, the larger landscape of this Clemson season, number one, I think it puts into perspective just how dominant Clemson has been in these last six years. Like this, this, this is a team that, as you said, could finish the regular season nine and three. And in September, for Clemson fans, the sky was absolutely falling when they were two and two, and they lost to Georgia and NC State. So I think that that's part of it. Is you, um, you of course we all know how dominant Clemson's been, but you really are reminded of it when you see them struggle. And then secondly, when I when I look at this Clemson season, and Dave Clawson had said this last week, he had said that he thought this was one of Davo Sweeney's best coaching jobs, and I I agree with him. I think that when you look at the fact that Clemson has lost. Uh, probably at least at least 17 guys are out for the year. There's been over 20 who have missed significant time. They've had four hit the portal. When you just look at the number of players that they've been without and you look at the way that DJ has struggled, the way the offensive line has struggled, and this team still might win 10 games, I mean, I think that that's, 
a credit to the job that Dabo has done. And he's, he said many times that he's had to teach in this, this year in a way that he hasn't in a long time, all the way back to 2014. Um, so I mean, if you're a Clemson fan, you're probably, you know, bummed they're not going to the playoff, but I think that, uh, I, I, I do, I do think that the turnaround for them, the last six games or so has been pretty remarkable. What do we make of this game this week? Clemson, an 11-point favorite at South Carolina. Uh, Dabo versus Shane Beamer. These are two players' coaches, entertaining mm-hmm. guys. Uh, I know Shane pretty well. I've been following him. Uh, you know, Honestly, probably should get some SEC Coach of the Year love a little bit for getting that South Carolina team to a bowl game this season. I saw him dancing in the locker room afterwards uh very reminiscent of his dad dancing uh, dancing uh in the locker room i think he learned a lot of his moves from him and they're uh, <laughs> they're not exceptional <laughs> dance moves they're very uh football coach dance moves out there uh, what is the is there any dislike between this two or are they pretty uh, friendly to each other at this point at this stage in the rivalry super friendly yeah i mean Dabo has had nothing but just glowing things to say about Shane Beamer from the day he was hired all the way up until yesterday when he, you know, obviously started talking about South Carolina for this week. But um, I think they're very, like you said, they're very similarly wired. Uh, I think that they, they, their players love them in a very similar way. Um, And yeah, I mean, and, and Dabo, Dabo had said too, that he, he probably deserves some SEC coach of the year recognition, or at least, being in the conversation he said that this has been a remarkable job that shane has done you can so yeah i mean you can you can tell that these guys really like each other is that all going to go away once they get on the field i mean these teams have like brawled before they in have, a game yes. i mean this is this is uh you know no love lost in this rivalry here uh does this have the potential to could this be a close game i guess i mean i, I know clemson has not been hitting on all cylinders i just wonder if south carolina has the horses to stay in this one I think it could be a close game. I mean, I I'm at the point now where, however many games we are, in eleven games in the regular season. Like I just show up to the press box on Saturdays now, and I'm I tell myself that nothing will surprise me anymore because it just I just don't know what's going to happen. Like Clemson might lose by ten to Pitt, but then they're going to blow out Wake Forest by twenty plus. So I think it could be close. I think it being in Columbia helps the Gamecocks. I, th- I I don't I th- I think that it's the second that, that the ball is kicked and, and we start playing, um, of course, like the rivalry is going to take over. But I do wonder if Dabo and Beamer's kind of mutual appreciation for each other. And this was something that one of our um, local writers on our beat, Larry Williams, wrote about at Tiger Illustrated this week as well. Just like, does it get a little less nasty between the fans? Like, there's been there's been some times where Coke bottles were thrown and objects are flying, and and I, I do wonder if if maybe maybe the coaches who very much respect each other say, hey, we're we're not gonna we're not gonna throw things today. The coaches can say that all they want. The fans are gonna do what the. That's fans true. Are yeah, that is true. <laughs> Well, let's move on to the uh, the Atlantic Division race. As I mentioned at the top, Wake Forest wins, they win a division. Wake Forest loses, NC State wins, the Wolfpack win the division. If they both lose, Clemson, which is 6-2, and two, sitting in the clubhouse right now, enjoying, enjoying a fine mixed drink, uh, they get in <laughs> into the, the championship game once again. Up until last week, I would have said there's no way that Wake Forest is going to give this up. Uh, but now, uh, Wake Forest, 55 point favorite at boston college this is a noon game on saturday the eagles are a very different team all of a sudden with phil Dracovic at quarterback 
Uh, I realized they they lost last week at Florida State. They were down uh, twenty six to three in that game. Nearly came back and won. Florida State held on there, but <clears throat> my goodness, uh, yeah, I mean they have a, a really big, strong arm quarterback. Uh, Boston College does that can uh, be problematic for some teams, especially for a defense like Wake Forest. Uh, what do you see in this one? I mean, you've seen both these teams this year. I know you didn't see full strength BC, but right. uh, do you think the Eagles can give Wake Forest some trouble, especially the way that the Deacons have been playing defense? I definitely do. Yeah, I mean, we didn't see Dracovic when when BC and Clemson played, but yeah, I mean, it's, I think that this is a Wake Forest team that all of a sudden it's it's such a weird dynamic, right? Because they've only lost one conference game because the North Carolina game was obviously non-conference. And yet, all of a sudden, they feel extremely vulnerable. And whereas Clemson, who's lost multiple games, is, is kind of like you said, chilling with the mojito and just kind of seeing how the cards fall. Um, so yeah, I absolutely think that Boston College could can give Wake Forest a game. It, it's at Boston College, correct? Am I right on that? Yes. Yes, it is. Okay. So the, they're gonna the have- rabid Chestnut Hill uh, <laughs> environment of their noon start. I can't imagine it's going to be just uh, a wild oh, place. What a thriller. Yeah, two days after Thanksgiving. <clears throat> everyone's going to still be in their sweats, probably napping. But, um, yes, to your point, I think this could be a game. And I, I, I think Wake Forest can and should and probably will win, but I don't think it's Wake Forest is going to run away with the division like we thought as recently as probably nine days ago. Yeah, I felt like the Deacons were out-talented by Clemson in a Mm -hmm. lot of ways. That showed up, and you go, man, that defensive line is like, oh my gosh, those guys are still overwhelming uh, this Wake Forest uh, offensive line, getting in there, busting up that mesh point. I mean, it was just problematic for them all day. I don't feel like that will be the same case at Boston College. Certainly, the Eagles don't have a talent level uh, like Clemson does. If Wake Forest cannot seal the deal this week, how disappointing is that? I mean, this is the year. This is you had, everything was set up for the Deacons. They have this uh, very experienced team, and I've asked people before about this about NC State because I feel like it's kind of the same thing. They've all been mm-hmm. waiting for Clemson to tumble and come back to the pack, and they finally did. And if you don't win it this year, man, what a missed opportunity! Yeah, I mean, I think that I re- I remember back in the summer because I did our Wake Forest State of the Program. I remember talking to Dave Clawson, and I remember him telling me back in whatever month this was, May, June, maybe, July, I don't know, that when Wake and Clemson played each other on November 20th, he wanted there to be something on the line. And I remember thinking there probably will be and that Clemson's going to clinch and then <laughs> cruise into the conference championship on the way to their seventh playoff. You know, that's... I, that's kind of what I made of that. And so this has been, I say that to say like, this has been something that Wake, Wake Forest has clearly been thinking about for months. Like he knew this was his most experienced team coming back. He knew this was the year they had that mantra, good to great. They have been in the top 10 for a good chunk of the college football playoff rankings. Like, yeah, this is, this feels like it has been Wake Forest's year. And so I do think that if you can't seal the deal and then someone else gets in via the domino effect and they got in basically because you lost and not necessarily because they sealed it i think that's a tough pill to swallow if you're wake forest well clemson doesn't play until 7 30 on saturday so it will know its fate uh yes. before it gets into that because on friday night unc plays at nc state the wolf pack are five and a half point favorites i like how this was set up 
It's like, well, NC State plays first. Uh, well, actually, it could have been a better setup than this, I, I guess. But Wake Forest could actually uh, have a chance to – or NC State could be eliminated before Wake Forest even plays on Saturday. And mm-hmm. then they both could be eliminated before Clemson even plays uh, on Saturday night. Uh, this NC State-UNC game is always weird. I, it feels like the team that's not expected to win plays well. And then I, I went and looked at the, the, the results lately, and that has not been the case the last two years. UNC uh, has absolutely walloped NC State. They've outscored them 89-31 to 31 the last two years. But I go back to, to 2018. UNC is terrible. They're 2-9. and nine. Fedora's about to get fired, and they take NC State to overtime. This is a nine-win NC State uh, team. They go 34-28. They win that, but it, it was a really close game. 2016, I remember that vividly because I was watching that because it impacted the Hokies that year. Uh, UNC is still in the coastal haunt. They're 10-point favorites. NC State had lost 5 of 6 and wins that game 28-21. to So I feel like weird things uh, happen in this matchup, and the, the team that's expected to win doesn't always win. Uh, Sam Howell looks like he'll play. He was held out last week uh, against Wofford with an upper body injury. Uh, looking at this one, I mean, that's two pretty good quarterbacks, two pretty p- uh, potent offenses uh, in this game. This could be a fun game to watch. I, I'm kind of looking forward to this on Friday night. Me too. Yeah, it's like the perfect uh, – see, I love the way it's set up because – well, I went to North Carolina, and like, so obviously I'd be watching. But it just, Friday night just feels like the perfect time where like you've had your leftover sandwich. You're ready to go. You're not completely super – like you've had your nap. It's like the perfect time to start watching football again. You've come up from your Thanksgiving coma, basically. Um, but, yeah, I think this game, obviously, like you said, two really talented quarterbacks. Devin Leary played extremely well against Clemson. Weird things happen. <laughs> I NC State has, in many ways, I feel like NC State has a hard time living up to expectations sometimes, and everyone is kind of wondering when are they going to do it. And then this year, North Carolina is in the exact same boat. Like, I don't think that – do you remember how – how silly we all felt after the, we spent all preseason talking about North Carolina is going to maybe do it this year. That if there's not going to be a, if Clemson's not going to be the playoff, it could totally be UNC. And then, and then, you know, their season unravels the way that it does. So I'm excited for it. I I'm with you. I think, I think this game could be a little, a little nutty. Yeah. We talk about the, the law of the wolf and always disappointing when they have huge expectations. <laughs> well, UNC this year is like, hold my beer. Yes. We were talking about UNC, like, oh, could they be a sleeper playoff team? And then yeah. that was over basically in the first weekend when they lose to Virginia Literally Tech. Literally week one, yes. They lose to Virginia Tech, and I was like, oh, maybe the Hokies are good. It's like, mm-mm, no, they, they were not. <laughs> that was just a, te- a game between two very mediocre programs in that one. It's funny how that works out all the time. We make such a big deal about a result, and then we go back, and it's like, no, that was not a big deal at all in this one uh yeah unc is a is a tough team to figure out i feel like they've been competitive throughout (coughs) throughout the year they took Pitt to overtime Mm -hmm. uh and then then the range just opened up in that overtime game where it's just like uh, that was really bad timing of it and then i look at nc state and you know beat syracuse 41 to 17 last week chance at a 10 win season still uh this Mm -hmm. has been done once in in nc state history in 2002 what? with Philip Rivers. They've had one 10-win season in their history. Ever? Yes, ever. So this is like really a great chance. 
for the Wolfpack to do something special oh, in the history of this program. If they can win this one, win the bowl game as well on top of that. Hey, hey perhaps sneak into the ACC title game. I mean, it's there. Uh, it, it feels like it's all set up for the Wolfpack, which is exactly the time that you would not expect the Wolfpack to come through in a game like this. So it'll be a fun one to watch. Uh, like you said, you know, Thanksgiving's over. You're probably a little sick of your family at that point. You're like, I got to get away <laughs> a little bit and watch this. Uh, I think uh, a lot of ACC fans, I know I will at least be tuning in for that one. Uh, flip over to the Coastal real quick. Pitt uh, sealed this thing up, beat UVA 48-38 to uh, in a score that was just what we all wanted <laughs> in this game. And so much <laughs> offense. Uh, Brennan Armstrong threw for 487 yards for UVA. Good gosh. And Kenny Pick was like, whatever, I'll throw for 340 and four touchdowns. Right. Jordan Addison, by the way, 202 receiving yards, four touchdowns. He's got 15 touchdowns this year. That's the nation's best. Uh, are you a voter on the Boletnikoff Award? I am. And they are relentless with their reminders <laughs> and texts and emails. I'm like, I get it, guys. I will do that. They will hunt you down if you have not voted. Uh, Jordan Addison might get my vote on that once I fo- we finally have to turn in the final ballot. I'm sure I'll get yeah. 18 reminders about that between now <laughs> and when it's due. But uh, this is just like the Pittsburgh way uh, this year. I mean, in the past, it's been defense. It's going to hold them tight and whatever they can do offensively. This year, it's like, oh, they gave up 38 paint points. So what? We'll score 48, and we're plenty capable of that. I mean, it's just... I don't know if uh, refreshing is the word to call it watching Pitt, but like this is not your father's Pitt team. Like this is enjoyable. <laughs> this is a fun team to watch, right? It is a really fun team to watch. I I think it's been Kenny Pickett and the season that he has had to me has been one of the most fun, entertaining parts of the ACC this year. I mean, they beat Clemson. What is it? What did he say on the broadcast after they beat Clemson? He basically tells ESPN he's going to go have a cold one, and you're like, oh yeah, you can do that because you're like. 28 you know um he just like I just feel like Pitt in a a, I don't know tell me if this is too far like I feel like Pitt kind of became the ACC's fun team this year fair well there are a lot of there are a lot of fun teams in the (laughs) ACC but yeah I I think Pitt with a successful fun team well yeah I think you look at Pitt with Kenny Pickett and all the jokes about how old he is and stuff like that (laughs) I think it's just like good for him for I mean he wasn't he wasn't like this superstar the entire time he was there. Everybody kept saying, oh, he's an NFL quarterback. And I kept hearing, I'm like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> but then they go out there and they're like really good. And he's incredible this year. I mean, I, we do that Heisman uh, tally thing every week at The Athletic. And I'll be honest, he's still on my top three. I still put him in there every week. Uh, now, that might be fading as C.J. Stroud and uh, mm-hmm. the Alabama quarterbacks start taking off here. But you know, I look at the talent around him, and I don't see Ohio State or Alabama-level right. talent around him, and he's still putting up these numbers. Now, I, just, I say that, and I just mentioned Jordan Addison. <laughs> I might vote for him for the Boletnikoff Awards. I'm not going to like act like they're the sisters of the poor here. They have a very talented team there. But for, for him to do that at Pitt, where they don't do that a lot, I think it's yeah. interesting. And then I, I see this team. I think whoever comes out of the Atlantic on that, that side, they're going to be a handful for that team. They might be... Uh, I'm, I'm trying to 100%. think of a line in that game. They might be favored in any of those games that they play. Yeah. I mean, they beat Clemson by 10. Um, I would be curious to, and math is not my strong suit, but I would be curious to know like their average margin of victory. Yeah. I, I'm trying to think. I don't think it's huge. 
because I yeah. mean they've blown out obviously Duke, and yeah. they they've blown out some other teams, but uh, Virginia Tech was one of them. But they've played some close games too. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I, I think, think they it's could be favorite. Yeah, I I think I'm looking at all three of those teams they could play. I think they'd be favored over Clemson because they've beaten them. Mm-hmm. Although maybe that changes now that people see that Clemson played a little bit better. Um, I think NC State or Wake Forest, I, I probably would take Pitt in either of the scenarios, too. Mm-hmm. So I think I went too. Perhaps we need to start preparing ourselves for the idea of Pat Narduzzi raising the ACC championship trophy uh, <laughs> next week uh, it, it, or a week and a half from now. Uh, that could be something that happens. Pitt finishes up here, 12.5 point favorite at Syracuse. Um, nothing much to say about this game. I. And if if the the division was on the line, I think maybe it could have been a, a trap or something like that. But I don't feel like they're going to mm-hmm. lose this game. I have to say, I feel like I'm a little disappointed with this Syracuse team down the stretch. Like they were really competitive early in some losses, and then they beat Virginia Tech and Boston College. But the last couple of weeks, lost forty one to three at Louisville, lost forty three forty one to seventeen at NC State. Now all of a sudden they have to win um, this game to become bowl eligible. Uh, that's rough there. This could be the fifth time in six years that Dino Babers is under 500. Uh, and I, I feel like people are asking him about his job security. And I, I read a quote from him before the game. It's like, I remember we weren't supposed to win more than three games this year. I'm like, well, if that's your benchmark of what you're trying to get Dude, over. Yikes. Uh, that's not too great. Do you feel like Babers can, can continue <laughs> going on here? I mean, it's. If I'm Syracuse, I don't know if I necessarily want to enter this job market because there's some some sharks yeah. out there in this one. Yeah. Even Virginia Tech, I don't envy their position having to hire while Florida is out there and LSU. Right. Uh, USC doesn't really affect them much because they, they're not in the same market for coaches. But, uh, man, you throw Syracuse in there, and, and perhaps if Miami comes open, I don't know what Manny Diaz's situation is down there. If you're Syracuse, do you even want to enter this job market right now, or do you think you just ride it out with Dino? I don't know that I want to right now on November 23rd, knowing that signing day is less than a month away. And like you said, there are so many openings with some big jobs out there. But I guess, I don't know. I guess it just depends on um, like what fascinates me about Syracuse is what is the ceiling and what is the expectation like the fact that you just mentioned that he said we weren't expected to win more than three games Uh, like you hear that and you're you're like wait what (laughs) like i mean can you imagine us telling our editors well like look i mean we weren't really expected to be great spellers or or do the whole grammar thing and we did that's what i tell my editors every (laughs) single week it it does not work i can tell you that (laughs) so i don't know i mean i certainly think that if you're a Syracuse fan, you're probably frustrated. What's been interesting to me is just the season that Sean Tucker has had. I think that's gone kind of under the radar, just given, like you said, their struggles down the stretch. But he's had an, an incredible year. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I, if I'm the Syracuse AD, I'd probably look around and see how competitive this market is, and i probably chill for another year. Yeah, and you know, I'm with you on Sean Tucker. I mean, he's a runaway uh, first-team yeah. all-ACC guy. Well, let's whip around the league here real quick. We touch on these other games we haven't talked about yet. Uh, we'll just go in the order that they're being played. So that's how we're doing this. Georgia is a 35.5-point favorite at Georgia Tech. <laughs> uh, goodness, Yellow Jackets. This is a rough way to finish the season. Uh, Georgia Tech embarrassed itself last week at, at Notre Dame, lost 55 to nothing. Uh, I got to say, it doesn't feel like Jeff Collins is it. 
it just is not like I have no idea if Georgia Tech has the stomach or the money to to fire him this year. And I'm not like a like you got to fire everybody. Like I look at some of these firings, like Dan Mullen. It's like he's had one bad year, and you're firing him. Like this is just sort of what happens in college football these days. But you know, this was such a significant rebuild there. But I just don't see the progress with that team. They're gonna, you know, if they lose to Georgia, and I think they will because everybody loses to Georgia. <laughs> Feels like a safe assumption. <laughs> they're gonna, they're gonna finish this season on a six game losing streak. Georgia Tech yeah, is. Uh, their yeah. wins this year will be against Duke, Kennesaw State, and somehow UNC, which they just you know bull rush them in that game. Like, you look at Georgia Tech. Do you see any progress there with this team? Any any reason to keep Jeff Collins around? I don't see a ton of progress. I also don't know that I see a ton of regression. I just kind of, I, I don't like. It's weird because Clemson plays Georgia Tech every year, but right now, and I don't mean this disrespectfully to Georgia Tech, but they just feel like such an afterthought in the conference right now that I just don't really think a lot of them at all. Really, honestly, like I see them that one week a year, and then they go back to Atlanta, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> see ya. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's just not a team that I that I that I know or study or see a lot and Clemson you know didn't love it when they were lifting weights on their field or whatever and then crushed them put up 70 on them a couple years ago I do remember that but other than that well it's weird because this is sort of what Georgia Tech fans asked for was a departure from the you know slow and steady Paul Johnson Mm -hmm. option offense like well we have a higher ceiling than that and then they bring this guy that's all flash and sizzle, and you mentioned the weights on the sideline. I think a lot of coaches uh, get bothered by that. Uh, and all of a sudden, you're winning three games every single year. You're not really competitive in any of that. At, le- at least when you had the option offense, you could set your clock to being uh, a six-win, seven-win, eight-win team pretty much every year. And occasionally, you get up to ten wins mm-hmm. and, and go to the Orange Bowl or something like that, and you're just a pain in the ass for every single team in the conference. They're not that right now. They're just not competitive. Uh, and I, I wonder at a school and, and you look across the state and that program in Georgia is the best it's ever been or close to the best it's ever been. I feel like that's got to be really hard for Georgia Tech fans to stomach and just continue oh, on yeah. uh, sort of in this mediocrity here. Uh, speaking of mediocrity, Florida State at Florida. <laughs> How about that <laughs> transition? <laughs> uh, Florida is a two point favorite in this game. I could not believe that. Uh, considering they just fired their coach, it, it tells me people are still not buying the Knowles here. Uh, even though they won, they beat BC 26-23, gets them to five wins. Uh, you know, Florida State started out 0-4 this year and can still make a bowl game by winning this. I think that's an incredible accomplishment for Mike Norvell to do that and turn this team around because we were burying him at the beginning of the year. He was done. Oh, yeah. Like of all oh, the yeah. Florida coaches, he had the worst job security, and somehow he might be the only one that survives here. Uh, you saw Florida State a couple weeks ago. Have you been impressed with? Uh, I I feel like we're talking about Florida State, like they're uh, like a terrible program or something like that. But they have been recently. Have you been impressed yeah. with how they've been able to turn this around and and be competitive again? Yeah, I mean, I think when you struggle early too, in the way that they did, like you said, we were all just crushing him i mean that's kind of i i am always extremely impressed when teams seem to figure it out in season and that's what i've been like clemson was a similar way for me where i saw all the issues that clemson had and the same would have gone for florida state and i thought this is not getting fixed in 2021 like you got to have an off season you got to 
go recruit, you know, do your thing in spring ball, develop some more, like just this is a wash, figure it out next year. But the fact that, as you said, they're playing for bowl eligibility right now in a game that the line is two points, they have a fired coach on the other side. I mean, I, I like, I don't know. Like, I don't want, I don't know that I should go so far as to say I like the Noles chances, but I don't dislike them, you know, and I don't see why they can't finish their season out like this. But yeah, I think the turnaround's been remarkable. I mean, how great would that be if they could beat an interim coach at one of your rivals in the last game to get over the hump and get to bowl eligibility and deny them bowl eligibility? Yeah. That's the other part is that Florida is five and six needs to win to get to uh, the posting is season as well. Uh, yeah, Jordan Travis played well last week, 251 passing yards, three touchdowns. Florida State just sort of beat the living heck out of, of Dracovic, just hit him early and often, and I think mm-hmm. that affected him uh, later in that game as well. So it should be interesting. Uh, certainly two schools that don't like each other down there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Miami is a 21.5-point favorite at Duke. Uh, I don't know if Manny Diaz is safe. Uh, but I do know that Miami is going to win this one and win this one handily because <laughs> Duke is terrible. Yes. Uh, you know, we'll get to it in a second. Malik Cunningham just completely torched that defense last week. Uh, could this be it for Cutcliffe? I mean, I, I feel like we've been talking about this every week and it just it just is not getting its better. I, I don't know what Duke hangs its hat on at this point. You could always kind of count on they'd have this special quarterback that you know you know you know, look at Daniel Jones getting drafted mm-hmm. and some other guys that uh had had really good seasons there and I just don't see that in this offense and this defense is the worst in the ACC 516 yards is giving up per game that, that's 100 129th nationally there's one team 516 worse. yeah one team worse I, I, I just you, what's the one team that's worse I forgot to write it down I could look it up here but it, like, I'll look it up. Keep talking. I'll look it up. Like it just does not feel like things are getting better uh, for Duke, and I, you know, credit to Cutcliffe for getting Duke to what it it did before, but it just feels like it's time to just move on. Let somebody else take it, and uh, yeah, I th- I think he's smart enough about his situation, wise enough about it to be like, okay, I think it, maybe this has run the course here, and, and step aside without hurting his legacy uh, too much there. Uh, do you think Duke moves on? Do you think Cutcliffe just realizes, hey, this is this is probably run its course? Yeah, I don't know where his. Oh, by the way, it's Arkansas State. Arkansas it's, State. I would have that. That would not have been my pick. <laughs> they are giving up 521 yards a game. Woof. Um, yeah, I mean, I haven't spent a lot of time around Duke. I don't know Cutcliffe. I don't really know his mindset, all that kind of stuff. But I do think that you just look at Duke from. An outsider's perspective, and they're, like you said, they're just not moving forward. And I think that's where things get really tough, is when you're not making progress and there doesn't seem to be a path to making progress. Like, it's not like Duke is, I'm going to look this up right now, too, actually, because I'm curious. It's not, I would imagine Duke is probably not killing it in the... um recruit on the recruiting trail right now no and they (laughs) never have that's never been their thing but they've always found players before and uh yes it doesn't feel like they have those right now and they've they're really hurting on defense yeah i mean then what cut club is what 67 Um, i think he's 67 yeah so i mean i'm sure it's something speaking as not a 67 year old i would imagine in 67 i'm probably going to think about retiring from whatever (laughs) from whatever job i'm in so i'm sure it's something that is has to be on his mind right like people are people like you and i are are curious yeah i i think that this would 
be it, but I, I don't know. I don't know the inner workings of Duke and how much they expect of the football program. It's obviously always sort of an afterthought there. Maybe they yeah. just go, this guy's been a great representative of the program. Sure. Uh, he can leave when he wants to. I, I don't know if it gets to that, but I feel like there's some pressure there uh, for him to do that. Miami, there's always pressure there uh, to win. I feel like Manny Diaz could save himself here. I feel a lot better about his situation if he had not blown that lead against Florida State a couple of weeks ago. If they had won that, they could have finished the season with six straight wins. Uh, instead, it, it will be five of six because I'm positive that they're going to beat Duke in this one. Uh, <laughs> Tyler Van Dyke feels like the real deal. I saw him in person last week throwing the ball in the rain, uh, throwing the ball down the field. Uh, very impressive. I think he's a, a keeper on that team, and they have a lot of talent in those younger classes down there. You know, my all the my former Miami players are up in arms about Manny Diaz and the the athletic department, and things have to change with this program. And I don't know. I I, I feel like they're on the verge here of doing something. Uh, would you keep Manny Diaz? After this year, it's, it's only been three years. I, f- I feel like mm-hmm. you got to give a coach a little bit more time than that. Yeah, I've always felt like, and I don't know that this will ever exist in college football as we know it again. But I've always felt like you you have to give a coach five just to to fairly evaluate them, and they get their own players in and they're recruiting and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, I mean, you look at a situation like Willie Taggart, like that wasn't even close to five. But yeah, I think I would. I think I would retain Diaz if I was Miami. Well, I don't know. What would you do? I I think I would. And again, yeah. I look at the market right now. Right. It's just it's and uh, you know it's unless so saturated. unless they think they could pull Cristobal and get him back. And right. Al- and honestly, that looks a little bit worse after he goes and gets blown out by Utah last week Good with a, gosh. Yeah. a playoff caliber team that he had there set up at Oregon. Right. Uh, and I don't know if Miami can do that. I don't know if they have the uh, the money to do that i mean we, we talk about miami it's not like the deepest pocketed school uh that's out there <clears throat> i just don't know i mean they're always chasing something of their past and i feel like that program's former players sometimes mm-hmm. do more harm than good <laughs> with how much they sort of complain about the program and interfere with that sort of stuff so i i don't know i i, th- I think i would give manny diaz another year but that's a program that expects a lot and expects results uh, two more games here real quick. Virginia Tech at Virginia. This is one I'll be covering. UVA is a seven-point favorite in this game. That is the, the most the Cavaliers have been favored in the series since 1991. Wow. When they were a nine-point favorite. Wow. <clears throat> I I just don't see Virginia Tech keeping up with UVA's offense in this one. I mean, you know, Brendan Armstrong is back. Uh, you know, Tyler Van Dyke threw for 357 last week against these Hokies. It makes me go, well, what is Brennan Armstrong going to do? He's, he throws for 500 yards uh, every week. Virginia Tech and the interim coach last week and J.C. Price, I, I just don't feel like they have the horses this year or the offense to keep up with UVA. Uh, any thoughts on this one from afar? I know these are two teams that you don't uh, see regularly, but uh, uh, thoughts from the other side of the the conference here in the Atlantic Division on this one? Uh, I mean, I, I think the season that Brandon Armstrong has had has probably gone under the radar more than it, it should. I mean, this dude's thrown for, what, more than 400 yards a game? Uh, I think he's up there. I don't know if it's more than 400 average, but it, it, it's way up there uh, among the national leaders. It's been yeah. very impressive. Yeah, so I think um, – like, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, I think we probably should be giving him more credit than 
than we are. Maybe he's getting it. I don't know. Uh, over here on the Atlantic side, when I think about the big coastal quarterbacks, you immediately, you immediately think Pickett and Hal, you know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you're the expert on this game, but I would be inclined to pick Virginia. I would, too. Uh, I just I look at Virginia Tech's quarterbacks, and I go, how are they going to score? With UBA, I just don't see it happening, and that'd be a disappointing end to the season for Virginia Tech, which uh, needs to win this game to get bowl eligible. Uh, mm-hmm. UBA is not coming in playing red hot. You know they've lost three straight coming into this game, but I just think uh, this is queued up for the Cavaliers to to win this one and end what's been a, an extremely disappointing season uh, for Virginia Tech. Uh, last game here. Uh, thank you for being on the podcast so long. We can get to this last game here. Kentucky oh, yeah. at Louisville. Louisville is a three and a half point favorite in this game. I think it might have been down to two and a half uh, last time I checked. Malik Cunningham. We don't talk about this guy enough in we all don't. the quarterbacks in this league. Uh, got to see him in that Duke game. <laughs> he threw for 303 yards and five touchdowns. You go, oh, that's incredible. That's a great game right there. But he also ran for 224 and two Ridiculous. touchdowns. Second person in FBS history with a 300-200 game. The, the first was Washington's Marcus Tuiasasopo, which is just nice to get that name back out there in the public consciousness. I watched some of this game, and it was like it's like watching a high school game where one side was pretty bad and the other side just had this star player, the star quarterback that was just faster and quicker than anybody else on the other team. It's like playing on rookie mode in Madden or something like that. He was just weaving through <laughs> the other team and doing stuff like you shouldn't be able to do that. <clears throat> you know, I, I look at Cunningham and you look at his passing stats, 18 passing touchdowns this year, five picks, and you go, all right, pretty good season there. But then you add on 933 rushing and 18 more touchdowns. Uh, could this guy be an all-ACC pick this year? It was such a crowded field for quarterbacks at the top. I, I feel like he could be up there, though. I Yeah, I think he, he could definitely be up there. I mean, I remember when Clemson played them the, the week leading into it, Dabo had said he's kind of Lamar-esque. And I remember being like, wow, I don't I don't know that I would go that far. And then I saw Malik Cunningham play in that game, and I was like, if I was on Louisville's football team, I would legitimately run through a wall for this guy. Like, he just is so electric. He He's played hurt at times this season. Um, 100%, I think he's a quarterback that we also do not talk enough about. I really like watching him play. He's just a fun – he's just a fun, a fun guy to watch. Yeah, he could make Louisville. Uh, I mean, this could be a, a bounce back season. They were four and seven last year. Could get them to seven and five. Uh, rivalry game with Kentucky. I know they always want to win that one. Games at Louisville. I think I like Louisville in this one. If you were picking in this one, who would you take? Uh, what does Vegas say? I think it was uh, Louisville by a, a round of field goal, something like that at home. Hmm. All right. Uh, yeah, I would take Louisville at home. There yeah. you go. Show some ACC pride. I, I like it, Grace. Hashtag <laughs> <laughs> go ACC. <laughs> Well, we've hit everything. Uh, Grace, thank you so much for coming on. Please, Wake Forest or NC State, take care of business this week. Grace needs the first week of December off for once. She doesn't need to have to go to the ACC championship game and and, and cover another one of these. Wouldn't it be great to have the first week of December off and not have to cover that? All right, so let me tell you this. I have been waiting. This is going to sound very random, but Nellie is coming to Greenville the night before the ACC championship, and I'm like, do I go to this Nelly concert or am I going to be going to Charlotte? And so I've just been sitting here in limbo, like, what should I do? So I'm hoping 
we get some answers fast so I can figure out whether or not I'm going to go see Nelly. Well, Friday night you could cover you could go to that and then cover the game the next day, right? You don't even. This need- is true. This is true. I could, I could do that. Something tells me that like hobbling into the. I, I want to be in my best mindset though for a potential ACC championship, not you know possibly hungover from a concert. Well, seeing Nelly. I'm hoping for your sake that Wake Forest or NC State takes care of business so you can go to this Nelly concert. <laughs> <laughs> Not have to worry about that. Grace, thanks so much for coming on. Everybody go follow her, uh, GM Rayner on Twitter. Uh, good Twitter follow there for all your Clemson needs. Grace, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. All right, that's another show in the books. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Thanks for joining us and listening to this. Please go rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. And subscribe to The Athletic. You can listen to this podcast ad-free. We have a great deal going on right now. It's $1 per month for, the, for a whole year. For new subscribers, go to theathletic.com slash ACCpod uh, to get the best deal there. Follow me on Andy Bitter on, on Twitter. I'm at AndyBitterVT. Uh, I'll be at the UVA-Virginia Tech game this week and then diving into a coaching search, which will not be too much fun. We'll be back next week uh, to talk about the ACC championship game and everybody that is into that. We will talk to you then. Music.